Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on December 11, 2016, on the basis of Matthew 11, verses 2 through 11. I have to start out today with a bit of a sad story. This past Monday, Lindsay and I went to the Milwaukee Bucks basketball game with her brother and his wife, which I know sounds like a lot of fun, but, but here's kind of the sad part of it. For much of the game, we just couldn't see. It seemed like for almost half of the game, we could only see a small fraction of what was going on out there, out on the court. And for other parts of the game, we, we really couldn't see anything at all. I mean, I found myself having to kind of crane my neck and move side to side and stand on my tiptoes, and none of it helped. Here was the problem. We had these seats that were literally right on the court. Like literally second row, we were on the wood court that the players were playing on. And so when the action was on our end of the court, the players who were closest to us, you know, in the NBA, they, they, they kind of tend to be pretty tall. They were blocking the view of, of the rest of what was going on. And then, to, to top it all off, along with these awesome seats, we had access to free food and beverages all game long. But we had to walk into this special private lounge to get them. And so during those parts of the game, when we were enjoying those things, we, we had to watch the game on TV. I'm going to stop there for a second because I, I can sense as though there's just a whole lot of sympathy in the room for my plight, and I, I want to give it a chance to just die down. Everybody, take a deep breath. Now that you're done feeling sorry for me, I can tell you that, that I tell you that story to illustrate what we're going to see in God's Word today, that, that most of the time we assume that being closer to something is better, Right? It's the reason why courtside seats cost a little bit more than the ones up in the nosebleed section. It's the reason why the hunter is hoping that that big trophy buck comes within 50 yards of his stand rather than staying out at 500. It's the reason why in basketball a layup is a much higher percentage shot than a half-court heave. Usually being closer to something is better, except when it's not. You see, being close to something not only allows you to see certain parts of it crystal clearly, oftentimes it also blocks out of your view entirely other things. Being close to something limits your field of vision, right? Being close to something shrinks your perspective. And what we're going to see in the Word of God in front of us today is that all of us are going through life with, with certain things that we are too close to truly see. In fact, the perspective that we have as we live our lives often makes what we do see seem very ugly, very backwards, very out of control, very unfair. So what do we do? How do we cope with that as we wait for Jesus to return? How do we demonstrate the patience and the perseverance that God calls us to have? In other words, what do you do when you are too close to see? Well, the man that we are going to be talking about today is the very same man that we talked about last week, the man named John the Baptist. And right away we might think that, that what makes everything seem so backwards and, and upside down and unfair for John is that at this point in his life he is in prison. 
And sure enough, you, you tell me how you would react if you were in John's shoes. You might remember that John's whole job, his whole mission was to prepare the way for the coming Savior. And to do that, he preached a message that could be summed up with a single word, the word repent. And John preached that same message no matter who was listening. Last week we saw how he took that message to the heads of the church, people who belonged to two groups known as the Pharisees and the Sadducees. From the scriptural account, we learned that eventually John took that very same message to the head of the state. In the area where John was was preaching this message and baptizing, a man by the name of Herod Antipas was in charge. And one day, Herod decided that he wanted to marry a woman who happened to be his brother's wife. And so he did. And so John the Baptist went to him and told him to repent. And so Herod responded by telling John to go rot in prison for a while. And so that's exactly what was happening. John had done exactly what he had been sent to do, and look at where it landed him. It landed him in prison. In fact, we're, we're told from historians a little bit about the place where John was held in prison. It was, for a long time, it, it was a hilltop fortress that served sort of as a very important military outpost for those leaders of Israel. But it was actually Herod's father who had built it up quite a bit and actually turned it also into a very luxurious palace. In other words, the place where John was held in prison was the very same place where Herod was living. So in the very same complex, John was being punished for doing what was right while Herod was living and enjoying the lap of luxury even as he lived in sin. Does your perspective in life ever seem to be a little bit like John's? I mean, for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about preparing for Jesus' arrival. We've been talking about focusing on those things that are truly important and and being willing to let go and walk away of things that aren't. We've talked about focusing on things that are eternal and spiritual, not simply earthly and temporary. And so when we don't do that, it probably doesn't come as much of a surprise, and we probably don't feel like we have the right to complain if it turns out badly. In other words, if, if we think that we can find joy and satisfaction and fulfillment in life by just relentlessly chasing after things like possessions or popularity or romance or recognition, we probably don't think we have a right to complain if, if those things end up disappointing us. Or if we decide that we're going to give ourselves over to some sinful behavior because we think it'll, it'll give us escape or it'll bring enjoyment into our lives, we, we probably aren't surprised when instead it brings destruction and addiction into our life. But what about those times when you're doing everything right? You start coming to church with the family every single week, but, but it seems like you're fighting with each other more than ever. You stand up for what is right but you end up getting penalized at work or getting ridiculed by your friends. 
You decide that you're going to give up some of the, the more trivial things that you spend money on each and every month so that you can more generously support the spread of the gospel so that people can hear and believe that good news and know what you know. But then all of a sudden the car breaks down and one of the kids needs a trip to the ER. It's then that, that life seems ugly and backwards and out of control and unfair. And it's then that we might be tempted to voice our complaints toward God, to lose that patience and perseverance he wants us to have and, and to really demand from him that he change our circumstances. And yet, believe it or not, that's not what John was doing from prison. It's not what caused John to go through this crisis of sorts as he sat there in Herod's prison. You heard how John decided to send a delegation of his disciples to go and talk to Jesus, to ask him a very important question. Except the question that John sent them to ask was not, hey, Jesus, I did exactly what you told me to and it landed me in prison. When are you going to get me out? No, the question John needed an answer to was simply this. Are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Here's what was going on in John's mind. John was the last great prophet to point people ahead to the coming Savior. In fact, even though we read about John in, in what we call the New Testament, we can kind of say that John almost had an Old Testament perspective. He was kind of the last Old Testament prophet because his job was to point people ahead to Jesus. And last week we heard some of the words that John used, some of the words he was given to do that very thing. John said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Power, judgment, and fire. That's what John said was coming when the Savior arrived. And John wasn't the first to talk about those things. In fact, you heard Isaiah talk about those things in today's first reading. But here's what made John unique. In fact, here's what made Jesus say that John was more than just another prophet and that of those born of women, no one was greater than John. What made John unique is that as a prophet, he actually lived to see Jesus arrive. John was the one prophet who got those front row courtside seats. John was alive when Jesus arrived on the scene and, and you can imagine how eager he was to see all of the things that had been prophesied about Jesus unfold right before his very eyes. But then they did. And it looked so ugly. It looked so backwards. It looked so upside down. There was no power. There was no judgment. There was no fire. In fact, John had preached this message of repentance. He had said that, that righteousness will be rewarded and wickedness will be punished when the Messiah arrives but now here he sits in prison, being punished for, for doing the right thing, while Herod seemed to be being rewarded in spite of all of his wickedness. 
That's what was so difficult for John. That was what was so very challenging about his perspective and his viewpoint. And so notice what Jesus did. Jesus said to this group of disciples who had come to him, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. So Jesus is doing more than just bragging about the things he had accomplished so far. He's doing more than just rattling off his resume. No, each and every one of those things that, that Jesus says he has done are things that were prophesied in the Old Testament. And so Jesus is essentially saying to John, no, you might not live to see the power and the fire and the judgment, but, but remember everything that was prophesied about the Messiah. Remember these prophecies, these things that are already happening, are already going on that people are seeing with their own eyes. John was, was too close to see the full picture about Jesus. And so Jesus taught him an important lesson that even when you are too close to see, you can rejoice in and you can cling to what others say they have seen. And friends, that's, that's exactly the same message that Jesus has for us. You know, we go through life and, and we have a viewpoint and we have a perspective that in a lot of ways, John the Baptist would have been insanely jealous of. That's why Jesus says that, that of those born of women, no one was greater than John, but, but he who is least in the kingdom of God, he's talking about us, are greater than he. We have not an, an Old Testament perspective about Jesus, but a New Testament perspective about Jesus. We're able to see the whole picture. We're able to see that the first time he came, he came in weakness and humility. He came to lay down his life for our sins. We know that the fire and the power and the judgment are reserved for his return. They're reserved for his second coming. You and I have what John so desperately craved. You and I have, have distance. Distance to see the whole picture, the whole truth about Jesus. And yet in a lot of ways, just like John, you and I also sit in our own personal prisons of darkness. There is plenty else in our lives that we are just too close to see. We maybe have our own questions like, will I be at this unfulfilling, dead-end job forever? Will it always seem as though my marriage is, is difficult and challenging? How long will we be trying to have children? Will I beat this illness? Will I kick this habit or addiction that is bringing so much destruction into my life? Friends, our Lord tells us that, that our lives are like this beautiful picture that he has painted, a, a, a picture where every last detail serves his ultimate purpose of having us with him in heaven for all eternity. And yet that beautiful picture that is our lives is painted on a canvas that's 50 feet wide and 50 feet high. And each and every day of our lives, we have our noses pressed right up against that canvas. It doesn't mean that the picture isn't beautiful. It just means that in, in a lot of cases, we're too close to see. Too close to see how everything fits together. Too close to see God's ultimate plan. 
And so what do we do? Well, in a certain sense, we do nothing. And we instead let Jesus do for us exactly what he did for John. In fact, this book is the delegation that Jesus has sent down through the years to reach us. In this book, you have a collection of eyewitness testimony of all that happened, of all that Jesus did, just as had been promised. He really was born in Bethlehem, just as promised. He really did lay down his life for the sins of the world on the cross, just as promised. He really did rise from the dead as the Father's stamp of approval that his death did in fact pay for your sins just as promised. And friends, that same God in this same book promises that he will guard and keep you. Promises that he will work all things in this life for your good. Promises that he will eventually return to rescue you from this present evil age and bring you safely to his heavenly kingdom. So what do you do when, when you're too close to see while well, you rejoice in and cling to what others say they have seen as proof that God will keep each and every one of his promises? You know, I've, I've never really experienced this, but you hear it often said that when you lose one of your senses, the other senses become heightened in their ability, right? And so, yes, in, in many cases... As we live our lives, we are, we are too close to perfectly see everything that God has in mind. And as much as that's a challenge, let it also be the blessing that God intends for your life. And that it causes you to hear very carefully what he wants to say. In other words, when, when you're too close to see, you're at the perfect distance to listen. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.